All right, we'll be in Proverbs 27 tonight. Proverbs 27. This is a proverb that we have been going through at the apartments for the last few weeks, and we finished it up yesterday, but there was some good stuff there, some good <laughs> verses at the end of the proverb, and so we're just going to go over those tonight. Proverb 27, starting in verse 18, we'll read 18 through the end of the chapter. Proverb 27, I say this probably every time I ever preach from a proverb, but if you were looking to be wise, uh, the best place to start looking would be the Proverbs. There's lots of good wisdom there. There's lots of good things that it points out as foolishness that may apply to our lives, depending, uh, but there's also good wisdom there. So if we see that foolishness in our life, then uh, there's good instruction on the wisdom uh, that we may need to, uh, to listen to to overcome that foolishness in our lives. Proverb 27, starting with verse 18, I'll pray and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you tonight and I thank you for this good group and I thank you for your words and I pray that you would just help me to be able to preach and teach your word in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to you. I pray God that these words would touch our heart. I pray that if there's something in our life that shouldn't be there, something we need to learn from, something we need to change, something we need encouragement about or correction about, whatever it may be. God, I pray that if there's something in these words that they would, that would speak to us tonight. So let your Holy Spirit touch our heart. Let us give you our full attention and not be distracted or sidetracked with other things. But I pray that your, that your word would speak to our hearts tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 18. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and whoever looks after his master will be honored. Now, here in these first few verses we're going to look at, uh, we're going to see a, a, an example that's given, uh, some worldly example, something that we can relate to, and then some, some spiritual something or something that we can take from it uh, in, in a way that we can apply to us spiritually to better us. These are just wise sayings. And these first few that we look at, uh, it gives us a worldly example of something, and then the author, probably Solomon here, tells us what he wants us to learn from what he's talking about. Now, he says, whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. Now, most everybody in here has probably planted a garden before or planted some type of tree before, and you know that if you plant a garden or if you plant a tree, you don't just throw seed out and say, all right, I'm done. I'll come back in a few weeks and I'll get all the fruit. Well, that's not the way it works. Sadly, it would be great if it was that easy. And one day it was in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve could just reach and get the fruit off the tree without doing the work. But we've got to do the work. And so when you plant seeds, guess what? You have to make sure that they are watered. You have to make sure that the weeds are pulled out. You have to make sure that there is a fence up because there are, there are little creatures and enemies that are trying to get in. There are bugs that are trying to get in. You may have to sprinkle some poison around. There are lots of things that we have to do if we want to be able to eat fruit, if we want our crops or our trees to produce fruit. And so Solomon here, or whoever wrote the Proverbs, says whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. That is, if you put forth the work, if you put forth the effort, if you do what you're supposed to do, you will reap a benefit. You will reap a reward. And many of you have done just that. 
You've had gardens that have produced many crops. And not just a benefit for you, but a benefit for your neighbors and a benefit for your church family. But those crops don't come on their own. They require some work. Uh, but it's a work and it's a blessing and it's a benefit that comes from that work. And he goes on to say, and whoever looks after his master will be honored. That is, if you do the right thing, there will be blessings that will come. You will be taken care of. You will be rewarded. You will be acknowledged for what you have done. It won't go unnoticed and you will be honored. And that's true in life. When we do what is right, we will reap good rewards. When we, when we are walking in obedience to the Lord and we are living to serve Him, when we are trying to live righteously, that is going to result in good fruit being grown in our life. That's going to result in blessings occurring in our life. And when we don't do what is right, when we don't take care of ourselves spiritually, it's no different than us not taking care of our gardens. If we don't stand on guard against the enemy that wants to come in and steal, kill, and destroy from us, if we don't make sure that we are watered by the Word of God, if we are not uh, checking the weeds and getting those things that want to creep up into our life out, then guess what? Pretty soon... All of those things will overtake us. We will, uh, we will die of thirst, spiritually speaking. Those little sins that creep up will turn into weeds that will choke us out. Uh, the enemy, the devil, will come in on the prowl and he will just rip us up by the roots because we're not well rooted, because we're not taken care of. If we want to grow in the Lord and we want to be honored, so to speak, and we want to be blessed by the Lord, then when we do what is right and when we live righteously, the result of that is going to be blessings that the Lord will put in our life and take care of us. When we don't live right, then we are missing out on those blessings that God wants to give us. And even worse, uh, we are suffering some consequences and some punishment for not living in the way that we should. Verse 19, As water reflects the face... So the heart reflects the person. Now, this is simple. This is easy for us to understand because probably every one of us at some point in time in our life have looked over a body of water. Uh, maybe it's a puddle of water. Maybe it's a pond or a lake. And when you look over water that, that's smooth, even if it's rough, you can still make out your reflection. The water reflects exactly what is there. The water doesn't add to it. It's not like when we look in the water, we look 20 years younger. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it was magic water and it made us look more beautiful than we were? The water doesn't change who we are. The water simply reflects what is already there. And just as water reflects what's already there, so the heart reflects the person. Now Jesus talks about these same type of things. He talks in this same type of language when he says, look, it's what, it, 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 what goes into a person doesn't matter. It's what comes out of a person that matters because what comes from the mouth comes from the heart. Now, he's not speaking of the, of the physical mouth necessarily or, or, or the physical heart, I should say, necessarily. Uh, he's speaking of our spiritual heart. And depending on what our heart is really like, that's what is going to be the reflection of us. That's what people are going to see from us. Now, the question is, what do people see when they look at us? Do they see people who are living for the Lord and obedient to Him? Do they see people who are full of love? Or do they see people who are angry? Do they see people who are gossips? Do they see people who are tearing other people down? Do they see people who go to church on Sunday uh, but, but don't give God any attention or live for the Lord any on Monday through Saturday? What do people see when they look at us? 
what they see is a reflection of what we really are. Because what we really are, it comes out. We can't fake it. It's like looking in the water. It's only going to reflect what's really there. And there are things, even in the Christian heart sometimes, that should not be there. And so those are things that we need to pray that God would help us to see those things, and He does. Sometimes it's through circumstances. Sometimes it's through reading His Word. Sometimes other people point those things out in our life. But there are things in our hearts that shouldn't be there. And those things will eventually come out. And when they do, then we need to address those things. Or hopefully, even better than that, God will show us those things before they come out. So that what comes out of us is what we want to be. That is that we want to be those who have a heart for Jesus Christ. We want to be those who accurately reflect who He is to the world. Because whatever is in our heart, it will come out. So we need to pray that God would help us to have a right heart so that good things would come out of our heart. Verse 20, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and people's eyes are never satisfied. Now some translations say hell and destruction there. The most literal is Sheol and Abaddon. Sheol meaning the grave. That's, that's why it's a little easier to understand there. Uh, Sheol being the grave. That is, uh, the grave is never satisfied. There are always those who are dying, and, and, the, and the grave doesn't say, oh, I've got enough people. Or even if we want to go with the hell translation, hell never says, wait a minute, it's too full down here, we can't take any more people. People are always going to continue to die. They're always going to go into the grave, and the grave is never going to be satisfied. The grave is never going to say, that's enough death, I'm done, don't send any more people to me until Jesus Christ comes. But the point being is this, he's making the point that there is no satisfaction in the grave, nor is there satisfactions in people's eyes. People's eyes are never satisfied, and that's probably true. Now, some of us may struggle with that more than others. How many times is there in, in your life, maybe, uh, that there is something that you're just not satisfied with? If I just had a little bit more, if I just had this, if I just had that, if I could just get here, if I could just get there, if I could just do whatever it is, then I would be satisfied. But if you've ever struggled with that, then you know that that's not true. Because one of the Proverbs says when you, when you catch what you're looking for, it's like it grows wings and flies away. You, you don't ever catch it. It's always moving. It's a moving target. Uh, and we have to be on guard that we are satisfied, that we are content. John D. Rockefeller, who was a super wealthy man way back in the day, somebody asked him one time, he said, look, uh, how much money is going to be enough? You, you keep on making money, you're already the wealthiest man. How much money is going to be enough for you? And he said, just a little bit more. Now, we may say, well, boy, if I was a millionaire, I'd be satisfied. Well, no, we wouldn't. There would probably be things in our life. Well, I say, no, we wouldn't. Maybe some of you would. But, but, but the likelihood is that there are still going to be things that we would desire, that we would not be satisfied in. And so what we oftentimes try to do as human beings is we look for things to satisfy us. I would be satisfied if I had <clears throat> a bigger home, or I'd be satisfied if I had a nicer vehicle, or I'd be satisfied if I had X amount of money in the bank. I'd be satisfied with you name it. You know what it is. Everybody's heart's different. So if you struggle with that, uh, you know what it is that you struggle with. But what we should not strive to do is be satisfied with what this world has to offer. What our striving should be toward is to be satisfied in the Lord. 
If we are satisfied in the Lord, then nothing else will matter. Now, that's something that I struggle with. That's something I'm, I pray for a lot, that God would help me to get there because I'm not there yet. I read Paul and he says, look, I know what it's like to be hungry and well-fed. I know what it's like to have a lot and to have a little, and it doesn't matter. I've learned the secret to being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's where I want to be, and hopefully that's where all of us as Christians want to be. And maybe some of you are there. Maybe some of you are, are, are along the way. Maybe some of you are trying to get there. But that's what our goal should be, I believe, as Christians, to be fully and completely satisfied in the Lord. And a good gauge of that that we can know if we are is, well, are we still looking for satisfaction in the world? If we are, then we know we had not made it yet, and maybe that needs to be our prayer. Maybe we need to set up camp in Paul's words there in Philippians chapter 4 and say, look God, give me that contentment. Give me that satisfaction so I'll be fully satisfied in you. And that's exactly what the proverb is saying here. A crucible for silver and a smelter for gold and a man for the words of his praise. Now this is kind of a tough verse. Uh, We had talked about it yesterday at the apartments and then I was studying it some more today. And all the translations really have some different wording there, and it really can go in a lot of different ways. Now, I didn't dig too deep in. I'm assuming that the Hebrew language there was probably obscure. Usually when you see uh, that many different variations of something uh, that have kind of different meanings, there must have been some obscurity there in the Hebrew. So depending on the translation you read, it may talk about that uh, the praise of a man is is his test or something along those lines. And it's a really difficult verse uh, to, to figure out, at least for me at this point, but I'll tell you a couple of possible meanings that that, that this verse may be. Now, when it talks about a crucible for silver and a smelter for gold, uh, the refining process occurs when there's lots of heat, and that makes the impurities of silver and gold rise to the top, and those impurities are taken away, and we're left with something pure. Now, that illustration is something that we see in Scripture. Uh, we go through that same type of purification process as Christians. Sometimes we go through the spiritual fires, so to speak, uh, which, which brings out those things. When we go through those really hard times, it causes us to seek the Lord and not that satisfaction and other things. And when we do that, we draw closer to the Lord and we are removed of some of those impurities. And so that's the first part of the, of the parallel passage here or excuse me, the uh, contrasting passage, I should say. But then he said, a a man for the words of his praise, or the test of a man is his praise. Uh, Now, there's a couple of ways that we can take this. One is, is that it's saying that you can tell a man who's been purified and been transformed because he will have a heart of praise. That is, if God has really transformed us, the closer we are to the Lord, the more we are walking with the Lord, then the more there is going to be praise in our life. Now, that's reasonable to think. That's not hard for me to take that passage as meaning that. That seems like it would go along with what the rest of Scripture says, and that is indeed true. If God has changed our life and transformed us, there should be praise that should come from us. Uh, It could be praise with singing songs. It could be praise uh, when we're just sitting in our private prayer time. Uh, It could be praise that shows itself in different ways. But, But that would be a good test or a good way to gauge a man's heart. Are we praising the Lord? Our woman's heart, too, I should say. If we are, if we are praising the Lord, then we're, we're, we're probably walking close to Him. We probably have good relationship with Him. If we're not praising the Lord, then why aren't we praising the Lord? Maybe it's because we don't 
have a good relationship with. And that's one way to take this verse, and that's how some of your translations uh, may word it. Now, there are, there are lots of different variations uh, depending on your translation. Another way that it could be taken is that a man for the words of his praise, that is uh, the praise that other people give someone. If, if there are people who are acknowledging someone and something that they've done, and they are giving that person praise because of their works, uh, then that's showing that, that that person really is walking close to Lord, to the Lord, that that is a life that's been transformed, that, it, that is a life that's been purified, that that is a life who's gone through that, that process of being heated up, and those impurities are gone, and the rest of the world acknowledges that, and the rest of the world boasts in that person. Now, the Scripture says we should never boast in ourselves to let other people do that. Not that we should seek or want people to boast, but perhaps... That's what this verse is saying, that a man uh, is shown worthy of praise, or excuse me, a man receives praise, and he's shown uh, that, he, that he is worthy of that because of the, the lifestyle that he has lived. Not that we are seeking our own praise, we seek the Lord's praise. That's another way that that verse can be taken. So I'll let you decide for yourself uh, what you think that the, the author may be saying there. Though you grind a fool in mortar with a pestle along with grain... You will not separate his foolishness from him. Now, this is something that we see a lot in the, in the Proverbs, and that is the idea of foolishness. Now, a pestle is like a little bowl. You may have seen that before, and it's got like a little, a little club-looking thing, and you use it to crush whatever's in there, and some of you have probably used them before. Now, it's not saying that we need to make one of those big enough for a person to get in, and we just need to jab it to them. That's not what it's saying. But the point is, no matter how much you beat a fool, so to speak, you're not going to beat his foolishness out of him. Now, many of parents have tried that with their children and have been unsuccessful. Perhaps some of you have experienced such a thing. You cannot beat foolishness out of a person. No matter how much you beat them, a fool is going to be a fool, and you can't grind it out of him, so to speak, as Solomon would say in these words. You cannot separate him from his foolishness, not by worldly means, so to speak. Now that doesn't mean that we are left to our foolishness on our own. God can deliver us from our foolishness, but it's only wisdom that can deliver us from our foolishness. It's only when we see the wisdom of God's Word, and we see the wisdom that is Jesus Christ, as we see mentioned in the New Testament, it's when we discover that wisdom that it takes our foolishness away from us. So a fool is not completely hopeless, uh, but, but we're not going to be able to, uh, to deal with a fool in their foolishness. But God can deal with a fool in their foolishness, and through His wisdom, He can bring them out of their foolishness. And for many of us, He has already done so, praise the Lord. Verses 23 through 27, this is kind of one section that goes together, so we'll uh, just kind of, it kind of shifts gears from the, the direction we've been going with these past few verses. In verse 23 it says, Know well the condition of your flock, and pay attention to your herds. For wealth is not forever, not even a crown for all time. Now, there's a couple of things that we make a take from this passage. Uh, one is which that, that some scholars and commentators would say that this is a, a verse referring to pastors. And it would fit other things that we see about a pastor in the New Testament uh, referring to someone overseeing the flock or taking care of the flock. Even Jesus tells Peter when he restores him, feed my sheep. And you may remember that from John 21. And so this idea of, of, of a pastor or an overseer or an elder looking over a church is something that we see in the New Testament, and the language of a flock uh, is something that we see. Although I don't believe that that's what Solomon probably had in mind when he wrote this verse, because 
the office of pastor wouldn't have been there for Solomon like it is for us today. But he probably was speaking very literally here because to have flocks and to have herds would have been a big deal back in those days. That would have been their livelihood. That would have been something that could have sustained them. So if you had a large flock of sheep and goat or a big herd of cattle, whatever you may have, if you had all those things, you could be sustained. They could, they could provide for you. And I believe that that's exactly what Solomon is saying here. In the first part, in verse 23, know, full, or know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. And then he tells us why. Why is it important for us to have flocks and have herds and see that they are tended to and that they are well cared for? Well, he says in the next verse, For wealth is not forever, not even a crown lasts for all time. I think what he's saying there is be prepared for whatever may come. Don't trust in your wealth. Don't trust in your position. Now Solomon, who was probably the wealthiest guy in the land at this time, uh, who, was a, who was a wise guy, who would have had wealth, he would have been the king. Uh, if anybody wouldn't have had anything to worry about, it would have been him. But even Solomon realized, look, my wealth could be gone in an instance. If hard times come, having a, having a storeroom full of cash is not going to help me. And the same is true for us. If the economy were to fall out from under us, it doesn't matter if you've got a million dollars in your back room. It's not going to save you if all the economy falls out and all you need is something to eat. You need a way to sustain yourself. And the very words that Solomon is saying here uh, could, could happen to us one day too, and that is... We don't trust in our wealth and our worldly possessions because when it comes down to it, those things won't help us to be sustained. Sustained, But our flocks and our herds, so to speak, will. That is, we need to have things that will take care of us and provide for us where our wealth and our position may fail us. And then he goes on to say in verse 25, When hay is removed and new growth appears and the grain from the hills is gathered in, lambs will provide your clothing and goats the price of a field. Now here he explains exactly what I think uh, I just talked about there. At least that's what I believe he's saying. And he tells us, why is it important to have herds? Why is it important to have flocks? Well, here's why. Because your lambs will provide your clothing. All right, if you got a, if you got a field full of lambs, guess what? You can go out there and you can kill them. You have something to eat. You'll have clothes to wear. He goes on to say, and goats, the price of a field. That is, you have something that people can use, something that people can trade with you with. You can trade a goat for a field. You can see somebody else and say, hey, I need land because my flock is growing. Someone else has land that they're not using. And he says, look, I'll trade you some goats for some of your land, and the goats, you can, you can use them uh, for, for the betterment of you, for the betterment of your family. And so having things that are useful that can benefit you, like goats and and, and cattle and lambs and things like this, Solomon says, don't trust in your wealth, but trust in those things that can be of a benefit to you and make sure you keep things in order and your flock is well taken care of. Verse 27, there will be enough goat's milk for your food, food for your household and nourishment for your female servants. So Solomon says, look, if you do the right thing here, if you do the wise thing, you will be provided for. It wasn't by the wealth that he had. It wasn't by the kingship that he had. It was because he prepared and was ready for what may come near. And the same is true for us. God will take care of us. He will meet our needs. He will meet our provisions if we are trusting in Him, if we are wise in the things we do. There's a lot of good things that we can take just from these last few verses that we have looked at. Are we going to be those who are producing good fruit? Or are we going to be those who are producing bad fruit? 
If there are things in our life that shouldn't be there, if we're not satisfied in the Lord, if we're trusting in our wealth, and we're not producing good fruit, then praise the Lord. We just saw the answer tonight for how to deal with that. We need to be fully satisfied in the Lord and not trust in our abilities, but trust in His provisions. We don't need to be those who get, who get lazy and say, I'm just going to throw my seeds out there, God, and let you do the work. But we have to do some work to make sure that we are cultivated, that we are protected from the enemy, that we are seeking the Lord and His words, and that we are growing in Him. And when we do, we will produce the fruit that He wants us to produce. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight and thank you for these good words and I pray that we live by them. I pray that you help them to have uh, some impact in our life that would, that would help us to draw closer to you. And if there are some in here that aren't satisfied, God, I pray that you help us. I pray that you help us to be content with you and to be satisfied with you and to make wise decisions with our, with our wealth and our worldly things, but not to trust in them, dear Lord, but to trust you all the more. I pray that you would help each one of this church and even the ones that aren't here, dear Lord, to be those who produce good fruit. So help us to take care of ourselves, to look at our spiritual garden and see uh, what's there that shouldn't be there, what we, need to, what we need to work on and get those weeds out. And I pray that you help us to put up a hedge of protection to keep the old enemy out. And I pray that you help us to be watered by your word, that we find living water in Jesus Christ to grow in you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.